Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Cody Layman's. Cody is the head of sales and customer success for a very cool company, TinyPulse. TinyPulse makes unique software tools for businesses that treasure their most valued resource, their people. Over 1,000 companies around the world use TinyPulse to engage and develop high-performing teams with their proprietary engagement and performance management software. They are the undisputed market leader in this segment, and they are helping companies of all sizes use engagement as a competitive advantage. Cody has spent his entire career in high-growth tech companies, and I am so excited to share a story with each of you today. Cody, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. You and I have been trying to make this happen for, for a long time, and I'm, I'm thrilled that the, uh, the time is now. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I, I'm a big fan of what you do. As you know, I, I, I'm a believer in engagement. I, I helped work at an engagement company for a while. And as we start sharing uh, what makes high-growth companies successful, I am one of those people that believes 100% that uh, engagement is a huge predictor and indicator of outcomes. So I couldn't wait to have you because I think you're a fantastic sales leader. But also, I think what you're doing at Tiny Pulse is a difference maker for sales leaders. Could you take a minute and introduce Tiny Pulse to our, to our listeners so they could be a little more familiar with your company? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the best way for me to do that, Rob, would be to uh, you know ask you as the CEO of Exviant. I mean, how, how important is is culture and your people to you? No, it's it's everything, man. I mean, I want to have people that are mission mentality that are all in or in the way, right? Uh, absolutely. So that's you know, so that that's Tiny Pulse, right? So if if you think if I ask that question, I just ask you to any CEO, sales leader, uh, HR person, really any leader in an organization, they'll tell you that culture is is one of their top concerns. Uh, the, the challenge is that it's extremely difficult and, and hard to, to measure the strengths and weaknesses of one's culture. So, uh, you know, like you said earlier, Tiny Pulse works with thousands of organizations, and, and we just make it really easy for leaders to collect and understand employee feedback that is actionable and leads to happier employees and more engaged employees. And, and when you have more engaged employees, they're more productive, and the business impacts and the biggest outcomes are greater. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. And I want to talk about that. I, I want to give you a little more time to introduce yourself because I think your story is important for our listeners to know kind of what led you to Tiny Pulse. We're going to talk a lot about how you use Tiny Pulse and, and how you build culture, but I also want to learn your story. But get ready. I want to dive into culture. You said that CEOs and, and leaders everywhere care about culture. It's funny you say that, uh, Cody. Uh, almost every guest on our show 
has mentioned culture somehow, some a lot, some in passing. So I want to spend a little time on on really what builds culture, because I'm sure that you're going to have some insights that it's more than just turning on a piece of tech. There's going to be steps you make to build a culture. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yep, for sure. So we're going to come back to that, but in the meantime, why don't you, why don't you introduce our listeners to you? I, I love your story. You've, you've had an interesting kind of quick run to, to get to Tiny Pulse. And once you've been there, you've done some killer things, but, but uh, I'd love to have our people kind of hear what got you in sales and what got you to Tiny Pulse. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's actually a little funny because uh, I started my career in sales by, uh, you know, getting ready to graduate college from Whitworth University. And uh, I was talking with my organizational behavior uh, pro- professor, and uh, I told him how I'm never going to be in sales. And then not not a week later, I accepted my first job into sales. So, <laughs> which probably isn't too different from how, how a lot of people get into sales. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, knew I was finishing school. I knew I had to find my, my first job, my first foot in the door somewhere. And uh, there, there happened to be this little, you know, tech company uh, down the road, had no idea what they did. And, um, you know, it, it, it ended up being a, a life-changing opportunity for me. So I went into that organization. It was called Thriva. And uh, they did event registration technology, not too different from what Eventbrite does today, right? Um, and they were selling it in a pretty unique space into kind of the summer summer camping industry. And they were looking for their first salesperson. And I went and interviewed because my friend had interviewed there. And I kind of said to my friend, hey, do you mind if I also go interview there? Uh, and then uh, how it unfolded is they ended up offering me the job, but I hadn't yet offered my friend. So then I was in this like big pickle of, oh, my gosh, did I just take my friend's job, right? <laughs> so uh, I said, hey, like, if you're going to, like, offer the other person my friend, I'm in. Uh, if you're not going to offer him, then we might have a, a bit of a problem here. And they said, no, we we're going to you know, offer him too. So I said, hey, let's just do this the right way. They offered him, then they offered me and everything worked out. Uh, he ultimately ended up not, not accepting the offer, but that was my entry point. And I was just the first, um, you know, first time salesperson. I was an individual contributor. And I think the thing for me is that when you get into a startup, you have the opportunity to get a lot of experience really, really quick. And it truly is trial by fire. And those first few years of me just trying to figure out what it meant to be a salesperson, and this is when this is when SaaS was just coming to be. Um, it, it really had a big impact on, on my career, and I, I think the the biggest advice I give to people that are just getting into sales is just be a sponge, be coachable, learn, and, and look for any opportunity you can to help push that that organization forward, and be as entrepreneurial as you possibly can. Um, so, I love yeah. that advice, by the way. That's great advice. Sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah no, and it's something I try to still you know, talk to every new salesperson we bring in to Tiny Pulse. I, I try to share that story with them because it's, it's just looking for opportunity at that point. And, and at a startup organization, you have the opportunity to be entrepreneurial and do that. You know, so I, I that's exactly what I did. I just looked for opportunity. So I you know, was told to start selling in one place. So naturally, I went and started selling to a different vertical like I was told not to do. And, uh, and it it ended up working out, you know, I, I played uh, football collegiately and I knew that athletic departments had huge summer, summer uh, sports camp camps that went on at the university. So I started selling into athletic departments at universities and it, it took off like wildfire and I was able to create my own vertical there. And they said, well, you've, you've created the vertical. Why don't you just figure out a way to, to grow it? So then I started hiring a team behind it. Um, you know, and from there I became really analytical and I just kind of naturally led myself to the data. And that was kind of the next uh, kind of entrepreneurial spirit I had as I created opportunity there. Um, and as I grew with Thrive, it got acquired by the Active Network. 
the Active Network eventually IPO'd and then eventually went private equity. But in my time there, I spent time in, you know, as an IC, as kind of a sales director. I hopped over and did an intentional move into sales operations to continue to round out my skill set. I did a brief stint in finance. Uh, and then I, I left after the private equity event, went to a bootstrap startup, couldn't quite make product market fit happen. And that's when Tiny Pulse uh, came on my radar. And uh, we, um, you know, from from there, really, the rest, the rest is history. It worked out. And I've been, uh, I started at Tiny Pulse as a sales director. And then uh, through the three years here, I kind of quickly through a lot of, you know, opportunity and just hard work was able to uh, earn the opportunity to lead the sales organization. It's been an incredible ride. And, and again, I would just, you know, emphasize, be proactive, look for opportunity and, and just work really, really hard. So that's a killer story. And I, and I appreciate you sharing it because we have a lot of listeners that that ask for kind of the blueprint for how do you get there. And I, I appreciate you sharing it. So I want to shift now into what you're doing because you're leading a team that's growing. And what I love about you is you're so competitive. You're never satisfied. You're always you're like, yeah, we, we got to grow faster. We got to grow faster. And, and uh, so as I listen to you, Cody, there's two big things that jump out in a short period of time that I'd like us to talk about. One is you use engagement to help sales organizations perform better. And you also talk about how you create culture. If we could dig into both of those things, even a little bit, I think that we would have a really, uh, a lot of value to give our listeners. Which of those two are more interesting to you? The how do you build culture or, or, you know, why, why engagement matters for building sales teams? I think engagement is the, the better track to go through because if you can, if you can build a team of highly engaged individuals, uh, the, the culture will generally figure itself out. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, definitely. How, how does engagement play into the success of a salesperson and, and from a leader's perspective, an entire team? That's a big word that everybody talks about. You live in that space. Can you give us a little context and, uh, and, and things that we can really grab hold of, of why that matters? Yeah, absolutely. So it is, it is a big word. So let's break that down a little bit, right? So if I, if I came to you and I said, Hey, I have one employee who's really passionate and they feel a profound connection to our company. Uh, they drive innovation and they're always trying to move the, the company forward. And I said, hey, I got another employee. Uh, they're essentially checked out. They're sleepwalking through their day. They're putting the time in, but there's no energy or passion. You know, and I said, hey, both those people are salespeople. Which person, which person would you want on your team, right? It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Right? So, so that, I mean, that is engagement, right? So if you think about why this is important in sales, well, in sales, high energy, passion, a connection to the company, a willingness to, um, you know, drive and go the extra mile of passion, almost to a point where you might temporarily disadvantage yourself. So what does that look like? That's the, that's the sales rep that decides, hey, I'm going to take this demo at 6 p.m. because that customer's in, in London or wherever, and I, I got to make the time zones work, right? The, yeah. the engaged employee is connected enough to the company that they're going to take that appointment every time, right? But the disengaged employee, it's easy. It's easier for them to say, well, I got, you know, uh, that, that event going on after work and I really want to go to that. So yeah, I'm not going to help this customer. I'm going to, you know, take my personal time to go do something else. Right. So that's the, that, that's the difference in just how, that's one example of how the decision making is different of an engaged employee and, uh, uh you know, non-engaged employee. I like it. So I get that engagement drives activities. That makes sense. And so that's, as I listen to you, that's one of the things I wrote down is more engaged people do more activities 
but do they also do more activities better? Is there a relationship between engagement and the quality of work, not just the quantity? Because I'm not a believer in work harder, not, I mean, work smarter, not harder. I believe you got to work hard and smart. Does engagement help both of those levers? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, again, if you think about kind of just the mindset or the motivation behind an engaged employee versus a non-engaged employee, sales is hard, right? And, and more than ever, you know, sales is, is requiring, uh, you know, the, the buyers, I should say, buyers are requiring salespeople to slow down and say, hey, you just can't send generic one-off communication to me. You, right. need to, you need to go do the research. You need to understand who I am. You need to understand my business. You need to understand my problems. You need to make a, an authentic human connection with me. And if the, the, the disengaged employee is or disengaged salesperson is not going to take the time to go do that, right? They're just going through the motions. So now, yes, absolutely. You need a team of engaged salespeople that care deeply for the company and for the mission and values because they're, they're required to go to those levels to get close to the customer if they're going to be successful. And without engagement, energy, and passion, they're not going to do it authentically. Okay, so there's another, as I'm listening to you and I'm writing notes down, um, so yes, engagement will drive how hard they work. Engagement will work, will drive how smart they work. Does it also drive the ability to adapt and accept change? Because I know your company a little bit. I know companies in general, we're all to stay with our markets. We're growing, we're changing. I'm not saying full pivots, but we have to adapt to, to be sure that we continue to lead our markets. Does engagement drive willingness to change? I, I, I think it helps, but I, I think further what, what helps drive engagement and the willingness to change is very clear communication, right? Mm. And, and that's, and, and, you know, th that's one of the things that, you know, I can share the story here in a minute if we get to it, but that's one of the areas where I'm really working on. Because in a, in a really fast-paced organization with a lot of change is communication has to be top-notch because when people get surprised or they find out about something last minute, uh, it's really hard for them. And then if you think about it from the sales perspective, you know, anymore sales is about process. And if you can get everybody to follow a process, they'll be successful. But since, right. since they're following a process and they're, and they're human and they develop this routine, now you all of a sudden have to change that routine. And if you don't do it correctly, it's really hard for people. So, you know, you have to have, have to have engagement, but you have to have communication uh, in order to make sure that those engaged employees can accept the change. And if you can do that, then it, it makes it a lot easier. Let's dive into that. You, you, you said you're, you want, that's something you wanted to talk about. Let's dive into it. Let's, that's what you're working on right now. As, as someone that's leading a, a high growth team, sh share that tactic and let's explore that a little bit. Yeah. So, so yeah, absolutely. Let me get there in a minute. Let me first share because I, I think there's a connection to sales here that's really important is that, you know, in, in sales, it's not about, it's not about me or about tiny pulse. It's about the customer, right? It's about them, right? For sure. So, you know, engagement is no no different when you're looking at it from a company and their employees. It's, it's about the employees. So if you think about it, you know, what a lot of startups do is like, well, we want a, a, an awesome culture. We want engaged employees. So let's get ping pong tables. Let's get a beer keg and let's get some couches and bean bags. And let's just have this great environment where nobody wants to leave the office. So they're always working. Right. And that will take you so far. But at some point in time, the novelty of that wears off and the employees want something more and that more is what's in it for them. Like, what are they getting? So you have to make it about the employees. And then you got to start thinking about stuff like career path, uh, yep. clear goals and objectives, you know, a supportive and collaborative relationship with management, consistent one-on-ones, appreci appreciation and recognition. Like those are the things, the investment in the employee making it about them is also what creates a fully engaged employee. Mm, I like that. So 
So as I listen to you, Cody, you're right. So many people think that it's just those like the, like the, the ping pong table and the beer keg and the foosball table and those things. That's not culture. Those are just things you go buy, right? Correct. Um, what do you see? Cause you work with thousands. You've got a killer team that you're building and have built. So you're not done. You're working on it, but you work with killer teams. What do the great leaders do to make this engagement thing be a competitive advantage? Yeah. So the, the, the single greatest thing that leaders can do to make engagement and to make employee feedback work in their favor is by truly listening and having the ability to continually listen to, to your employees. And sometimes, sometimes that is, Hey, I'm an employee and I have um, some insights on an opportunity that may be big for the company. Other times it might be a problem or a, you know, there's a block in the business somewhere, a frustration. And so you're going to get good and bad feedback. What's important for leaders, no matter whether it's good or bad, is how do you show employees that you're listening, that you want that feedback? And then how do you execute and take action on it? So how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah, well, I mean, and again, I hate to, uh, uh, you know, talk too much about Tiny Pulse, but that's essentially what, what Tiny Pulse and uh, other, you know, softwares in our space do is they, they create an environment or they create a tool where employees can continually give that feedback so that leadership always has a pulse or a tune into how employees are feeling at work. And then, and then from there, it's about just taking that feedback you're getting and deciding what does this mean for the business? What does it mean for the individuals? And what, yeah. it, what action does it drive? And it's when you can take that action that employers are like, wow, when, when I share this honest, raw feedback with my leadership team, they listen. And when they listen, they take action. And when they take action, my life at this company improves. That's how you start to get engagement. And that's how you start to build culture. So I like that, Cody. So what you just told me, if it, tell me if I heard you right. It's not just that you have like a listening post or you have a mechanism for people to talk to you in a way they're comfortable. It's that they actually believe that if they say something, you'll listen and something might happen as a result. Absolutely. That, and that, that something might happen, that they actually see something happen. Okay. So that seems like that's a really cool idea. Is that easier said than done? Absolutely. I mean, it, it takes a it takes a leadership team and, and it starts at the top of the CEO, but it takes a, a leadership team that actually wants to take the time and, and, and make the resource investment into what it takes to actually have this, you know, this feedback environment in their culture where they truly are getting that feedback and taking action on it. It's not something that you just throw 10 minutes at, right? Um, you have to get feedback from the employees and you have to understand where is that feedback coming from and what is it, you know, what, how's it impacting the individual? How's it impacting the company? What does this mean for us? And then what action do we take? And then after you take action, you have to communicate it back to the employees so that they know that you took action. Hmm. So it's, it's not something that you can just say, Hey, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's commit 10 or 15 minutes to this a week. It is a intentional investment, but you know, the, the, the human capital expense to organizations is generally their biggest line item, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm always baffled by the organizations that are like, well, man, that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> well how much money are you spending on this on this in, in you know on this resource in, in totality right yeah. so it just baffles me sometimes okay so all of this is i think this is great and so as a, as a sales leader myself and as i work with lots of sales leaders around the world i for sure could see how this is something that's critical is let's make sure that we are actively trying to build engagement and yeah we want a cool work environment but more important we want employees that feel like uh, the reason I know I'm valued, I'm not, 
isn't just by what number I'm returning, but the reason I know I'm valued is because people are listening and then doing things as a result. Did I get that right? Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and if employees feel that and they truly believe that it's authentic and they see it and they see it happening, it, it, it is so powerful for an organization. So the, the last question I'll have on this, and then I want to shift a little bit into some of the stuff you're doing with your team, because I think that you've done some things that are worth sharing. Um, I would imagine that your team has to believe there's authenticity around your, you know, intent to drive this engagement type stuff. You know, that is, it, is there a level of skepticism at first that only over time do they believe that this really is real and that's when you know you have culture? Could you talk a little bit about authenticity and how you build that? Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be authentic and it has to be genuine, right? Um, and and we, we have customers that we've worked really hard on this is that they would get a piece of feedback and, and, and uh, as, as a leader, sometimes it's not easy to, to digest that feedback, right? And it, it's easy to sometimes to want to respond and, and be defensive, right? But it, it's really a two-way street. So if you're an employee and you're giving feedback, and this is something I'd recommend to any listener out there, whether you're in leadership or not, but when you give feedback, if you can share a specific experience that's driving this feedback, how it made you feel or how it impacted the business, and what your proposed solution or what your recommendation on a solution would be, that is feedback that somebody can actually take action on or, or continue to work with you on, right? When, you, when, when feedback is received and, and it's just delivered in a way that just says, well, I don't like the way this is happening, so it's making me unhappy. Like, as a leader, I can't do anything with that feedback, right? There's, there's nothing actionable there. So it's just important to remind people, you're giving feedback, cite this specific experience. How's it making you feel? How's it impacting the business? And what is your recommendation on how you can improve? And then that's, that's feedback that people can take action on. And on the other side, uh, when you're, when you're going to respond to this feedback, it's important to create that safe environment and say, hey, thank you for this feedback. Thank you for stepping forward. I really appreciate you doing so. You know, can we grab coffee? Can you, you know, answer these questions for me? Let me clarify. Let me get some more context. And if you can get both parties to do that, the, the amount of, of results that can come out of very small conversations is almost impossible to quantify, right? Because it, it, it gets you out of issues that could become toxic down the road if you otherwise weren't receiving this feedback. Can engagement be measured? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to, again, you have to, you have to either, you know, either evolve your internal processes to be consistently asking employees how they're feeling and if they're engaged or not, or you have to utilize a tool. And that's what, what tiny Pulse is. So an engagement can be measured as long as you define what does engagement look like for us. And if you can communicate that to employees, then you can ask them, Hey, how do you feel at this point in time and let them rate on the scale of one to 10 or however you want to do it. Right. Yep. But it first starts with clear, you know, for, for us, it's, it's how happy are you at work and the employees understand how we define happy employees. And that way, every, every four weeks we'll ask them, how happy are you? And we measure that over time and we can see that fluctuates. And every four weeks I'm getting a snapshot update on how my employees are feeling. And at an individual level, I can reach out to them anonymously. So they're protected and they're safe. And, and get more context and say, hey, you rated really low. What's going on? Mm. And have that conversation. And then just think about it. If you're an organization and you have a disgruntled employee, one, you may not know about it. And, and two, you, it might take you, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours to set up meetings with everybody to ask them how they're feeling. 
Love it. So uh, this is good. I, I, I've spent a lot of time on this because I think it's such an important concept. I wanted to give our, our leaders that are you know listening to this just a few pointers on how do you build engagement as part of your go-to-market. Any final thoughts on if a leader wants to build engagement as one of their strong points, things they don't want to think about? And then I want to shift into what you're doing at Tiny Pulse personally. Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, one, find a way to, to get in front of your employees and ask them how they're feeling, especially with the younger and younger, uh, you know, generations coming to the workforce. And, and two, uh, invest the time and make it about the people. It's not about you or your company. It's about your employees. And if you do those things, you can build a great culture and have engaged employees. Love it. So you've done some interesting things at Tiny Pulse since you've been there. You didn't just come in and say, you know, status quo. You've done a little moving. You've done a little shaking. Uh, you've had a few things happen. Um, I, I would love to talk to you about, <clears throat> you know, you changed your whole go-to-market with the AE slash SDR relationship, and I'm hearing more and more about that. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing there at Tiny Pulse? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, for, for us, we, we, we measure our funnel metrics very, very closely, and we're very tight about it. And at, at the same time, I'm always trying to work out in front of the market, out in front of the buyers, to understand how are things changing, what's going on, and, and where do we need to go next? And it wasn't, you know, too, too long ago within the last year or so where I started quickly realizing that, and, you know, this is a lot of stuff that you talk about on Twitter, a lot of, you know, other sales leaders talk about is that, you know, buyers hold the control today, right? So sales don't have the control anymore. Without uh, a doubt. Buyers have the control and that if you don't change the way you sell and if you don't find a way to get friction out of the buyer's journey and let the buyer go about it, how they're going to go about it you're just going to create so much friction that you're going to just drag yourself down. Right. So as I started looking at this, I was like, man, we got to get friction out of the buyer's journey. And the first place that I could do that was by improving how quickly a buyer that has already educated themselves could get to somebody who could take them the rest of the way on their journey. Right. And for us at tiny pulse, what we were doing is a lead would come in, it would go to a, a human SDR that SDR would have a discovery conversation to try and qualify uh, it would take them a few days to even get a hold of the customer to have that conversation. And then they set up another appointment for the AE, which would be another seven days later. And then the AE would get on the call, essentially repeat the same conversation the SDR just had. And then in, in some cases, schedule a demo another seven days down the road. <laughs> okay. And I was like, this just, this just doesn't work. Like, you know, if I was a buyer, I'd be frustrated, right? Like, yeah. so why, why do I have to repeat the conversation with the AE that I just had with the SDR? And why has it been 14 days and I really have made no progress, right? It just did not make sense to me. And then I, the other thing I started thinking about, well, I'm head of sales. Uh, I'm evaluating vendors all the time for our tech staff. And I felt myself naturally trying to avoid the SDR and just get to see the product and, and ask questions and not be sold. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm the salesperson that is saying, don't sell me. Like, so, <laughs> That that is when I was like, we got to do this different. So what we did is, you know, a lot of people were leveraging drift, and the conversational marketing thing was was really catching speed. And and I said, okay, well, let's not only be you know utilize drift to actually get into conversations through the chatbot and talk to people, but I said, why don't we just have drift actually let's build the playbooks to have drift book the appointments and send those appointments directly to the AE, and then we don't need the inbound SDR at all. So now the buyer's journey is. Okay, now I can go to Tiny Pulse, and if I want a demo or I want a trial or if I just want to talk to somebody, I can actually look at my calendar and pick a time when it actually works for me, 
and I can schedule it right then and there. And I know exactly who I'm going to talk to. And Tuesday at 10 a.m., somebody's going to call me and we're going to have this conversation. And they're not going to pass me off. It's actually going to be the one individual that can take me from that conversation all the way to a buying decision. So, so how's it worked? I mean, that's a pretty big change to say we're going to circumvent this SDR. What's happened as a result? Are you seeing positive things happening? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So uh, really across the board, when I started measuring this, we've really only been doing it. We started, started this in July, and then it took us some time to instrument uh, you know, drift correctly and kind of push the bounds of, of drift and what it could do. But, you know, we're a few, few months into it now and we've, um, you know, increased our SQL to close one percentage by 17%. We've increased our win rate by 84%. And whoa. Our, and our whoa, lead... whoa, 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 slow down, cowboy. You've increased your 80 by your win rate by 84%. Correct. Yeah. So in that, in that same period, when I measure it, if I look at our high, our high um, call to action, um, you know, demo, trial, those sort of CTAs off the website for non-drift leads versus drift leads. Uh, the, the, the win rate was roughly 29% before. And then after a few months within drift, those ones that received the full, full experience uh, was a 53% win rate, which is an 84% uh, improvement. So that's a gratuitous shout out to our friends at Drift. We both have friends there. And so I'm happy to, pr- to, to promote those guys. That's a killer tactic. So <clears throat> you only really blew up the SDR function for inbound or did you do it for outbound as well? Uh, well, it's, it's mostly for, for inbound. Now we, we do our uh, outbound um, SDRs will you know, have components of Drift that they use, whether it be calendaring or book an appointment. They still yeah. use it, but yep. it's, it's mostly added fuel to fire for our, for our inbound channel. Cool. Uh, and, and I think it's all about, you know, it's, it, yes, it's, it's drift in that technology, absolutely. But, but it's about evaluating your buyer's journey, just understanding where does the friction live and how do we get that friction out of there and let buyers come in and do it the way they want to do it. So I love that. Let's stay on that because you're right. That's less about, yeah, I use drift. It's a really cool technology. The tactic was you as the leader said, where's a place that I want to have more efficiency uh, you and me have had this conversation. I believe there's only four pistons for a B2B sales engine and win rate is one of them. Cycle time is one of them. And if you can look through the lens of what's the buyer experience like and make that less friction involved, your, your hypothesis was my win rates would go up and it did to the tune of 84%. That, that's correct. Yeah. And then that, uh, that that's where you, you cut me off. You don't let me get to the sales cycle, but we actually decreased our lead to closed one. Um, from 37 days to 21 days, and that was a 43% proof. Dude, you're going to have to let me cut you off because that's why I wanted you on the show, man. Those are metrics that anybody can get excited about. That's that's outstanding. Um, was it hard to make those changes? Did you have any resistance early on? Um, well, our board was a little skeptical, which it's always you know a little uh, nerve-wracking to make that drastic of a change and tell the board and then have them react and be like, well, I don't know if that's going to work, but I, I – I, I felt so strongly about it and our board is, is our board appreciates the, the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit and, and the thinking like that. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't ill received, uh, but you know, it, it, it ended up working really well. The challenges with it were we were taking, you know, the, the biggest one was really just mindset and mentality of the team because we were taking these inbound account executives that have just been used to being past leads. Right. And, yep. and, and now they were going to have to take them direct where they were the first point of contact, the first conversation. And if somebody ghosted or somebody no-showed or somebody canceled, now we're relying on those people who hadn't been exhibiting those outbound behaviors to go chase them down and make sure we still get those people into appointments. So there's, there has been some growing pains there. But when, when people have actually booked the appointment, shown up for the appointment, had the conversation, we've performed really well. 
So that's one of your not, that's one of your great tactics is find the friction uh, and don't be afraid of saying, let's, let's focus on a different buyer experience. I love that. Any other things like that as you've looked at how you've been leading your team? What are some of the things you've done to say, how do I throw gas on the fire and make it so we can grow even faster? Well, I feel like those are the, that whole conversation that we just had is the, is the biggest one. Um, you know, the, the one that we're still working at and, and trying to nail it for us and figure out what it means is, is really in our outbound play. Um, how, do, how do we make the outbound SDR successful? How do we uh, get a true ABM campaign going? And, and, and I think every organization has to define what, what does ABM mean for you? Because every organization is different and you can't just kind of deploy uh, a generic ABM playbook. So we're still, still working on that. And that's one area where I think we can add fuel to the fire. Um, and I think we still have slack in the line uh, on the inbound side where we can continue to, to get more out of, um, you know, working closer with marketing on our lead nurturing because we're not sending all the leads through to, through to sales. So how do we nurture those into the stronger drift CTAs, uh, the outbound play, like I mentioned, and then also just rep behavior and making sure that we're following up on all these leads that may book or no show uh, or ghost us and make sure that at some point in time we round them back up and get them into a call. Love it. Hey, this has been killer. I can't believe that we're north of 30 minutes already. It went, it, for me, that this was a really killer conversation. And I know we went heavy on engagement, uh, but these tactics you're sharing on what's led to success, you, you've talked about how, you know, the buyer's driving the car now. I, I really like that. You've talked about uh, how you found areas to <clears throat> increase your efficiency. Uh, I like that. As you look at your history, you've had a good run at, at, Tiny Pulse, and I believe the best is in front of you, not in back of you. I'm excited to see what you do. What would you say is your biggest leadership challenge that you've had so far? Yeah, I, I alluded to it, and I don't think we ever got back to it, so that's a good question. It is, you know, my biggest challenge is the amount of communication that, that comes with, with change in a fast-paced environment. Um, it is that when you're, you're always looking for, you know, where do we decrease the friction? How do we do this? How do we do that? You create a lot of change and it requires people to act differently. And we kind of talked about how with salespeople, it's all about, we try to get them to follow a process. Then when you change it and there's not you know, clear communication, it makes it hard for them. So that, that's my, my big challenge right now. You know, thankfully I have a, a team, a sales leadership team where we fully trust one another. And, um, Sam, who is, leads our sales neighborhood training. She is awesome. And, uh, thankfully, I have a relationship with her where she'll sit me down and say, dude, you, you have to get better. <laughs> and uh, she just she just gave me that humble pie last week. And she's like, listen, like between CS and sales and marketing, like, you know, and here, here's a challenge. This will be a good, good example is I'll talk to Sam. We'll say, yes, that sounds good. Let's do that. And then I'll go talk to, uh, you know, one of my sales leaders or my director of CS. And they'll have great feedback. I'll be like, oh, we didn't consider that. Yeah, that actually is a good point. And then I'll be drugged, you know, I'll get dragged off to another meeting and then I'll forget to close the loop with Sam, right? So it's, 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 it's unintentional stuff, but it makes it hard for people. So for me right now, as I'm trying to uh, clearly communicate with everybody around all the moving parts and uh, we're trying to evaluate some, some ways that we can, as a team, come together and say, how do we level set and understand all the dependencies we have on each other and, and make sure we communicate more clearly. I love it. That's a great challenge. Uh, I love the way that you've addressed that challenge. I think that's a challenge that every one of our leaders can relate to. As, as we get ready to wrap it up, I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question that we, that I ask everyone here in a second, but I want you to just kind of think and just give us any final thoughts on if you're a sales leader uh, based on your experience. Now, and the reason that I love, and I'm doing this a little different with you, Cody, is you work with other company leaders to build organizations where culture is you know, one of the, the great differentiators. 
If you're going to be a company, I know you said it. Any final thoughts around why culture and engagement and how do you, how do you build that as something that a sales leader should be thinking about? Yeah, I, I think for me, and I don't mean to be you know generic here, but no matter your organization or what your product or how you're set up or how successful you are, if, if you're not looking after your people and fully engaging them and, and giving them the opportunity to provide you feedback, at some point in time, it's going to catch up with you. So whether you do it from going to coffee or through paper and pencil or survey monkey, or you decide to use a tool like tiny pulse, do something to get extremely close to your employees. Just like, just like you ask your business to get close to your customers. That, that's a great way to end this, this, this interview, uh, Cody. Uh, the question I ask everyone, leaders are readers. You know, I find that these high successful leaders that they're always saying, what's next? How do I get better? How do I do more? very often people have really good insights on books that have been helpful in their career. Anything that you would share for us to put into our, our uh, high growth leadership library? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to mention, mention two. Uh, one, one I have read, one I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, the, the first one that I read was um, ben, ben Horowitz book, uh, The Hard Thing About the Hard Things. And to, to me, the startup is, it's a roller coaster, it's ups and downs. And, you know, the, the thing that is enlightening when I read that book is that no matter how good the entrepreneur, uh, they all struggle with the same stuff and they're all human and they all make mistakes. And uh, it was just a fabulous book with great perspective and uh, really brought it home for me that, hey, the things we're trying to do is hard. And, and no matter how smart, gifted or bright you are, uh, you're going to struggle with the same imposter syndrome, self-doubt. Am I making the right decision? And all those things are, are okay. Uh, and that book just hit it home for me. So that's a great one that I recommend. Um, the, the other one that I'm looking forward to reading is by the uh, founders of uh, Basecamp, I believe. And it's the book, Work Doesn't Have to Be Crazy. Um, and it's, it's more in the, in the culture realm and the engagement space. So I'm looking forward to reading that, uh, not only for my own, uh, you know, my own education and learning, but it's also right, right in the alley of my industry. Both good recommendations. Neither one of them, they're both new. Uh, can't wait to get those up on our list. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Cody, this has been a, an outstanding interview. First of all, congratulations to you and your career. Second of all, congratulations to what you're doing at Tiny Pulse for having, you know, the insights and the courage to say, let's blow things up when it makes sense. Let's accelerate things where that makes sense. Uh, you, you've done a killer job. You've been a terrific guest. I just want to thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. It's been a blast. You know, I, uh, Love the relationship that you and I have been able to convolt, uh, cultivate. Uh, we're, we're happy explaining customers as well. I'll say that. And uh, always, a, always a pleasure to spend some time with you. His name is Cody Laymans. He runs sales and customer success for Tiny Pulse. There's nothing tiny about the impact they make or the success that he's had. Uh, Tony, Cody, Cody, how do they get more of you and how do they learn more about Tiny Pulse? Yeah, absolutely. You know, go to tinypulse.com to learn more about us. If you want to uh, kick the tires, there's a free trial there. Uh, if you want to take an even smaller step into this, you just want a culture snapshot, email me at Cody at tinypulse.com and I will uh, personally help you out. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at C.E. Layman's. So that's Charlie Edward, Lincoln, Adam, Mary, Edward, Nancy, Sam. Uh, that's my, my Twitter handle. My brother's a police officer. So whenever I get a chance to do that, I do it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, LinkedIn, you can find me, Cody Layman's. I believe I'm the uh, only, only search result there. So uh, please hit me up. And I would endorse that. You're, you're pretty active, particularly on, on uh, Twitter. You have some great stuff that you put out there. So, hey, Cody, thanks so much. Uh, and like I said to everyone, happy selling. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Have a good one. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I hope you really dug Cody and what he had to say. I'm a fan of Cody and I'm a fan of, of Tiny Pulse. I, uh, I think everyone ought, ought to check them out. I, I believe that they solve a really important problem, particularly for salespeople, because engagement drives so much for a salesperson. It drives not just how hard you work, but it, but it drives how effective you are. And I'm a big believer that you can't do anything unless you've thought about it first. And as I was listening to Cody talk about engagement and how you build it, and then I was listening to how he was able to overcome some big challenges, it was very clear to me that a sales leader's success really is underscored by your ability to, to identify where you need to adapt and then make those adapt adaptations. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a great ex- uh, experience I had with one of my mentors, Rick Page. Rick was the founder of a consulting group called The Complex Sale. He was the author of Hope is Not a Strategy. And I actually had the opportunity to be an editor on his book, Make Winning a Habit. Uh, Rick had a huge impact in my career. And I was thinking about a time I was talking with him, and, and he lived in North Carolina, and he was talking to me about his backyard and, and how he has, in North Carolina, there's a lot of oak trees, and there's, I think it's the white oak, and then there's uh, a pine a variety that's there, and those are the predominant trees in North Carolina. And he was sharing with me that when Hurricane Floyd came through, just how devastating it was in North Carolina. In fact, there's a governor that was, the, the governor at the time has a famous saying along the lines of, uh, nothing has has done as much destruction in North Carolina since the Civil War as Hurricane Floyd. Absolutely devastating. And Rick asked me, which of the trees, you know, do you think handled the hurricane best? Was it the oak tree, which is known for its strength, or was it the pine tree? And you might think it's the oak tree. You hear things like solid as an oak, you know, and, and it's known for its strength, and it's it's known for making the finest hardwood Furniture. That's why you see so much furniture coming out of North Carolina. And he told me, and it, it caught me by surprise. And as you think about it, you'll, it doesn't be so surprising. The pine trees weathered the storm way more than the oak. And the reason is the winds came, that tree was able to bend and, and flex a little bit with the wind. And those oak trees were so solid, it uprooted them. And Sometimes, as Rick was telling me the story, salespeople, and in particular sales leaders, they get so rigid in how they're going to do things that they can't weather the storms of figuring out how to connect with customers. And I think that if we want to connect with customers, we've got to do what Cody did, and we've got to find ways to eliminate as much friction as possible. Now, I don't mean that we're a pushover and that we get blown around from here, there, and everywhere. But we should be a little bit flexible to be able to figure out what is it that our customers want and need and how do we make it easy for us to be able to have our customers buy us. And with flexibility in mind and adapting in mind, I believe that it's really important for us to remember that studies show that the more, you know, the higher uh, your, your adaptability is, it's proven that adaptability drives performance for leaders and individuals. So I think it's important to remember that there's only four pistons in our sales engine. Only four. The number of opportunities we chase, the revenue per customer, your win rate, and speed. And we should look at the activities that we do for each of those pistons. So we're always tuning the sales engine for our sales organization. We should never stop tuning that engine. And I loved how Cody talked about that he's always looking for friction. And, you know, he wants to be having enough oil in that engine to make sure that those pistons are firing firing as efficiently and as fast as they can. 
And to this end, his examples, he blew up his inbound SDR team to the tune of having win rate go up by 84%, one of the Pistons, and at the same time, sales cycle come down by over 40%, another one of the key Pistons. And so I think it's super important for us to be able to, A, be on high alert for how do we continue to tune the engine. And if you don't have a tune the engine mentality, you need to have a tune the engine mentality around those four pistons. Because I promise you, there's not five, six, seven, or eight pistons. If you run a B2B sales org, those are the four pistons. The better you understand how activities make those work, the easier it'll be for you to say, how do I tune the engine and have it work as efficiently as possible? And if you have good engagement, and if you have the kind of communication that Cody talked about today, you'll be able to make those changes without having your reps act like the oak trees that dig their heels in and you have to uproot them. You want them to have the flexibility to look to your leadership and say, okay, I'm in. So I hope that that's an interesting way for you to look at this interview today. I hope that you have a lot of those I'm in moments with each of the reps on your team where you have such good engagement and you have that engine always under evaluation that you are finding ways to remove friction, but do it in a way that your reps feel like we are having intentional improvement that are doing things that are making their careers better. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I appreciate all the, the great feedback that we're getting uh, as we're going into the holiday season. I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, we will be having a greatest hits uh, version of the Sales Leadership Podcast next week. where We're going to share some of the most common learnings so far. I hope you'll be ch checking that one out. Uh, and as always, continue to give us the feedback. Give us those ratings uh, on your favorite uh, podcast platforms because we need those. We appreciate those, and it makes it easier for other people to find us. If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends. Uh, and as always, don't worry. Just execute, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com. <laughs>